0: I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all.
1: Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer!
0: And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, everyone. I'm Phil, and that's Derek, and this is the Touch All Twins podcast uh, World Series going on right now as we record this. In fact, by the time a lot of people listen, game the World Series might be over because yeah. Game Six is tonight. This Ugh. is this is Tuesday afternoon. You're making me sad, Phil. Let's do it just a couple minutes real quick because I, I I what what I'd like to get into is what the Twins can maybe learn from the Astros and their roster construction. But just real quick, I don't want to hyperbolize because it's easy to be a prisoner of the moment and and to to have recency bias, but. The first five games of this World Series, this has to be one of the great, dramatic, star-filled World Series in the history, let's say recent history of baseball. And the fact that much like when you're watching the Golden State Warriors in the NBA the past few years and you know that you're watching something that just doesn't compute in your mind. Why are these guys hitting 35-foot jump shots from you know every direction like what the game doesn't look the way that it used to look for me baseball doesn't look the way that it used to look even
1: five years ago and it's just sort of mind-blowing right now i tend to think about game seven of last year as making that sort of an epic world series and i think anytime you go to a game seven no matter how boring the first six games were it's going to be remembered as an epic game seven i I was dating myself a little bit, but I was like six months old when the Morris-Smoltz duel happened in 91. And so I can't really speak to the gravity of that World Series. Um, But no matter how this finishes, whether it finishes tonight or if it goes a game seven and we're wrapping this thing up tomorrow, uh, the first five games have been awfully incredible. And I do wonder... I guess there are two paths I want to take this real quickly, Phil. And, and one is that you mentioned it's sort of warping baseball. How how soon will that warped version of baseball show up in the regular season? Because we've seen even Super Bowl pens wear down with overexposure in yeah. this series. Well, that's fascinating to
0: you know, and that's I, I think that it's possible that we've jumped the shark already with this, sure. this hashtag bullpenning, right? that. That teams are so afraid of leaving a starter in too long because, hey, the numbers and the analytics, the data shows you. And you and I are big numbers guys. Like this is the, mo- this is probably one of the on, on a scale of uh, old school, you know, uh, old Tom Kelly, Patrick Royce, go with your gut to only looking at numbers and nothing else. We're much closer to ten than one on that scale. And I can, I, I'm looking at this and saying, why are you bringing in? Why are you leave, like taking Clayton Kershaw out of a game for a a a, 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 a Morrow hasn't right. like the guy the gas tank is on empty right I'm making a, a a horrible point here but I think we've almost jumped the shark in terms of how reliant we are on these ace bullpens sure. and these and these these bullpen bridges that we're now starting apparently in the fifth inning like we got to pump the brakes a little if Justin Verlander gives up a base hit in game six. I don't think you need to start warming up the bullpen quite yet. Like, what, it's okay to give
1: up a run. What I'm curious to see is, okay, how how much does this sort of seep into the regular season? And then the secondary thing, I'm, I mean, curious, fascinated, terrified, not really sure what word to use, but are we starting to see a greater divide between the haves and the have-nots in baseball where the Dodgers can invest million in an analytics department, $50 million in a scouting group, pay the Andrew Friedman's and Farhan Zaidi's of the world the the big money to run the front office. Oh, and also pay guys $17 million to sit on the bench because they made a mistake with a bad contract and outspend their mistakes. Like it's sort of just this perfect machine. I'm not 100% positive that's how it's going to play out. Obviously, the Dodgers might not win this World Series but I'm curious to see the bullpen effect into next year. How, you know, is this going to be like Andrew Miller 2.0, where that really seemed to shift the landscape last winter? How's that going to impact this winter? And then secondly, as these sort of super teams have emerged and the Yankees are on that list, and I think the Indians are on that list until proven otherwise, Astros certainly are on that list, and the Dodgers may be leading that list in my book. How much does that influence the rest of the bas or the baseball landscape? Like the Warriors have impacted the basketball landscape. Yeah.
0: I mean the best teams in the world, the, the best relievers and the best starting pitchers in the world can't get outs against these lineups. I know Clayton Kershaw couldn't get outs; had to come out of the game. Yeah, you know, Kenley Jansen can't finish the game. He just. And it's not just like base hit barrage, bleeding seeing-eye single. It's monster (laughs) 150-foot-in-the-air fly ball that goes out. And, you know, in Houston, some of it's the ballpark. Uh, I think you're seeing a combination of, and we may never know the full extent of the change to the baseball. I think the baseballs are different, and I think that's colliding with the fact that hitters are looking into the science of what generates the most production. Yeah. So if the baseballs are more prone to fly an extra 5 or 10 feet, and hitters are taking a much more calculated, towering fly ball approach, guys like Jose Altuve, and this is where like my reality is so warped, guys who looked like Jose Altuve for 150 years were told, use your speed, mm-hmm. chop down on the ball, mm-hmm. hit the ball on the ground, or hit little little line drives at the kneecaps, the waist, and then steal second base, hit the ball the other way and he is swinging out of his cleats Thumbs with a away. full uppercut and hitting the ball 440 feet in key situations. Well. It's not it doesn't compute with what you've witnessed
1: your whole life watching baseball. Let's talk and Astros. And I kind of like it. It's, I, it's it's amazing. It's weird but I I don't know that I love it but I'm just a weirdo. But like let's let's dial back and talk Astros here in a quick second but the the kind of like the rap point that I want to put on it is I I'm fascinated by the chess match of baseball. I mean, you can hear me. You, you can tell that I'm a nerd just by my voice. But trust me, I, I look the same that I sound. And Phil can attest to that. But like I'm –
0: vintage Newcastle United soccer sweater with two birds kissing in the middle. That's exactly what you
1: sound like. magpies. And coincidentally, it's what you're wearing. They're, they're magpies. I do think that I maybe, – maybe more than most or maybe there's a lot of people out here that are like this that I see hitters swinging like this and I think, oh – all right, all or nothing as a pitcher if I, you know if I'm a pitcher the mindset is nice. I got him. Like yeah, I'm going to give up some home runs. I'm I'm going to give up my 20, 25, 30, who knows. Fast forward this thing, maybe it's 50. Maybe it's 60 home runs I'm going to give up over the course of a year. But what I see is they're opening up some holes in their swing that I can exploit too because I'm using data. They, they're not the only ones that get to use, you know biomechanic feedback loops and figuring things out through the numbers that says, hey, here's how the pitcher's beatable. Here's how he's exploitable, especially when he gets tired. As a pitcher, I'm saying, okay, this guy loves the uppercut swing. He's going to love to go get a fastball at his eyes because he thinks he can hit it out in the bottom of the seventh of a close game. I'm going to elevate. I'm going to try to beat him up there, or uh, I'm going to try to get him to expand the strike zone, which is the same conversation you've been having for 50 years as a pitcher. It's just taken on a new shape a new tone i'm, I'm curious to see as that risk reward relationship grows even more magnified yeah the risks obviously are higher because you give up a home run to the smallest guy on the other team you know uh, alex bregman might be my new favorite player in baseball he's no? cool uh, a ray adrianza is going to take you deep a couple of times if you challenge him upstairs mm-hmm. but does that mean i'm afraid of that uh giving a high fastball to a guy like miguel sano or is there a a bigger strikeout margin, All right. Since guys are more comfortable with it, now I get runners on base. Okay. Before I was maybe just going for a ground ball or whatever, or I'm going to try to get him to a two strike count and then I'll give him the finisher pitch. Well, now guys are on base and I know it's got to be finisher pitch, finisher pitch, finisher pitch. What I love about this is sort of a, a pitcher's dual nerd. And, and we talk about that all the time that I, I'm not the traditional baseball fan. The bombs away thing, not as interesting to me as like a two to one, well-pitched, well-defended, one mistake was the difference baseball game. I know that's not going to catch on. I know that's not going to be mainstream. But now I think you're going to start to see guys like Kershaw, guys like Keichel, guys like Verlander, the way he's pitching right now, really start to become super valuable because not everybody has that Eliminate pitch that okay bases are loaded and the game is on the line for these next two batters. I need to get out of this with two strikeouts. Here we go. Dial it up. My best against your best. It's a lot of fun. I just I don't know which way baseball is headed, but I'm along for the ride. Yeah,
0: Sign it's I know it's it's fun. I, I I'm with you on you know I don't need to see bombs 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 every game. I you're more I, bombs I away de- than me I for tell. sure. Yeah. I but I can I can enjoy baseball in a million different forms, and I actually think those two-to-one gems or those Clayton Kershaw gems, they're much more meaningful in a higher run-scoring environment. When Pedro Martinez was posting two-and-a-half ERAs in the steroid era and Greg Maddox, okay, those are big-boy performances when everyone's hitting 50 home runs and driving in a million runs. So I I think more offense is good for the popularity of the game. And I brought this up off-mic to you. Game five of the World Series – beat Sunday night football in the TV ratings. Now it helps when that audience peaks after Sunday night football was over because the game went 5 hours, but it was 5 hours of action and it was bombs and three-run homers and drama. Nobody talks about that game at least relative to, you know, the amount of people that were talking about it on a Monday when almost everyone in the sports world will be fixated on football and NFL happenings. Mm-hmm. If it was 2 to 1, Clayton Kershaw Dallas Keuchel, sure. which you and I would vastly enjoy as Sign well. Sign me up. But more people enjoy, holy crap, did you see <laughs> yeah. the swings in that game, 13 to 12. And did
1: you stay up for it? <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> so let's, uh, let's come back here and talk about what the Twins can learn from the Astros and what they've built the last few years as they sit here as we record this, one game away from winning the World Series. Uh, but when we speak about big-time front offices and evolutions and changes and all these things, the parallel I draw for the purposes of this podcast, Luther Brookdale Toyota changing the way that they operate by building a new stadium and changing, uh, you know, just changing the way that their service department looks and feels and evolving with the times. And you get not only the best facility in the Twin Cities, and we're talking about uh, Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 Brooklyn Boulevard. You get some of the smartest people, some of the best players. Uh, It really is like taking a great front office in baseball and taking a great collection of players and giving them all of the tools they need to succeed and help you. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same place without any consideration of going elsewhere for 30-plus years. It's Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard in the Twin Cities, and
1: LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Purple podcast.
0: You have to put yourself in a scenario where the Vikings had a healthy quarterback for the whole year. What type of numbers either Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford would have been putting up with these guys playing at the level they were, if
1: this team is fully healthy, I mean, one hundred percent. Oh, with Dalvin, with Dalvin Cook too, Collar. Yeah, the, I mean, the fact yeah. that they oh, can yeah. do that, like they have with with yeah. these guys with Keenum, and still be a top offense, it
0: makes me think yeah. they would have been one of the best in the league. Which is really unfathomable, considering where they were last year. If you have Teddy or Sam for the entire year, if you have Dalvin Cook back in and not, and he does not get hurt, and you've got, if you've got the full complement of your offense that you had in training camp. I think the Saints game, it might not be the norm, but you'd see it. You'd see it often. There would be nothing against a lot of defenses in this league to stop that offense from being highly
1: effective. You can find the Purple Podcast on iTunes, Podcast One, or 1500ESPN.com's podcast page.
0: All right, the Astros. Did you know even though the dodgers are number 1 in payroll and it's i mean there's some things the twins could learn from the dodgers and they spent 300 million dollars and a lot of it's on Carl Crawford to sit on a couch right so they're going to spend and and, and they're going to buy big time contracts and they're going to they're going to jettison players who they have to pay for four more years because they can did you know the astros have the 18th highest payroll in baseball yes i did possibly the best team in baseball no. has the 18th highest pay- the astros didn't spend a lot more money than the twins did to put this product on the field. Best lineup for my money in the American League. Um, you could poke holes in some of the pitching compared to like Cleveland sure. or the Yankees. But um, there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between what the Astros put together and what the Twins are trying to put
1: together. Yeah, and I guess let's focus on the lineup just for a second. Because we'll, we could do... Full season's worth of podcasts on pitching, but just quickly pull back on the payroll conversation i'm I'm working on a column for the website um that it kind of talks about like blueprints and how teams are put together. We talked about it on a recent podcast episode about how are the twins different, how are they similar between primarily the Dodgers and the Astros and so anyway, as part of the work for that column, I'm looking through their starting position players and the salaries they made in 2017. And, of course, the comparison is to the Astros. The Dodgers are the interesting one on the uh, the position player side of things because if I told you, hey— I, I would say both. I got some ammo for both, okay. actually. Okay, all right, go, let's hear it. Keep, no, go down the Dodgers path first. Okay, so the Dodgers is interesting because they are paying a guy like Adrian Gonzalez, Andre Ethier, guys that are just making a lot of money that— how many times have you heard their names called this World Series? Yeah, Ether had some at-bats. Okay. I think
0: he had a single in the last game.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and headlines were made. <laughs> and so the the Dodgers is really fascinating to me because um, they're spending a ton of money on pitching. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to hide from the fact that they have the most expensive per-year player on the planet. Um, but they also, they're major league minimum guy starting in left field, in center field, at shortstop, Corey Seager, first base, Cody Bellinger. And so they don't have a DH, so I just went by, you know, the eight starting position players. They're averaging about $4 million, which is amazing. You think of the high-spending Dodgers, they're averaging about $4 million. The Astros, on the other hand, have sort of let this thing bubble up, and they've got their core of position players now here. Yeah, you're paying a major league minimum guy at shortstop and, and your guy Bregman at third base, but you also sprinkled in a little Brian McCann behind the plate that's 17 million dollars first base you're paying Gurriel 14 million their dh um 16 million and so like on a per position player basis the astros are actually spending a little bit more than 8 million dollars
0: so on average for their starting nine but the way that they constructed and i and i agree let's focus on position players first and then pitching here the way they constructed their team and the order in which they did it i think is the is the way the twins should look at doing it too I know that a lot of people, including us, are sitting here kind of chomping at the bit, okay, you you made that jump to the playoffs, now make the next jump to the World Series. And I think that that should be the goal in 2018. But I don't think you should just blindly sell off all of your future assets in order to get there in 2018. I think there should be a healthy balance of continue to let the young assets bubble, and then if you can pull off a Justin Verlander-like trade, if you can add seasoning while keeping that young core intact, that's how the Astros did it. That's how the Cardinals have done it in years past. Build your core from within. Cash in on talented draft picks and then develop them throughout your system. Look at the Astros. Alex Bregman, number two overall pick. World Series hero to this point. Carlos Correa, number one overall pick. Maybe the best overall shortstop right there next to Francisco Lindor in baseball. Lance McCullers, first round or comp pick. Jose Altuve. Was a young international free agent signing that wasn't really highly touted, but just grinded and they developed him, and he was a leader, and uh, and has exceeded all expectations. I saw this during Game Five. He never made a top 100 prospects list at any time. George Springer, number 11 overall pick, boom. Uh, onto the pitching side, Dallas Keuchel was a seventh round pick. Like they're just they're identifying talent, they're developing it, and then. The patience pays off as all these guys come up to the surface at the same time. Guriel, you mentioned that was a Cuban signing. Uh, Ken Giles, they traded for him. I believe he was with Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but he wasn't the Kent. Now he's kind of soiled himself a <laughs> little in the playoffs. <laughs> but, but he helped. But he's get been here. awesome the last You're not couple here years. Without him. Yeah, uh, Davinsky has been a key yeah. bullpen guy. Traded before they acquired him, I think from the White Sox. I want to say a few years ago, and then uh, even Marwin Gonzalez hit twenty-three home runs in the regular season. That was. An international free agent signing. Get that collection together where it's international free agents. Uh, I guess Guriel was like 32 when they signed him from Cuba, so that might be a bit of a different example. And once you have that core group, that's a winning team right there. That's a playoff flirtation team that you saw win 86 games a couple years ago. Then you go spend on the designated hitter for $15 million. You trade some future assets for a Justin Verlander, and now you're sitting here knocking on the door of your first world championship. I love that blueprint. Easier said than done, obviously. But I feel pretty good about what Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have started to put together behind the scenes, scouting, development, and putting together that blueprint.
1: Yeah, I think, though, like I don't want to let that be an excuse to not aim for the World Series.
0: Oh, you should aim for the World right? Series. Right, like, if you're talking free agents. But the Astros spending. aren't there if they don't put together that core group and – so that's part one – and make the trade for Justin Verlander. Right. Like you have to have both. And if it means cutting off part one early to chase part two, I think you have to make sure part one, which is your core, is intact before right. you chase part two. So
1: you're saying don't trade Nick Gordon, don't trade Royce Lewis. Well, if you trade Nick Gordon of- for
0: Chris Archer, like that's where right. I'm torn because Chris Archer has four more years.
1: Who says no? And he's awesome. <laughs> we should just do a podcast, Who Says No? Um, we should Actually, we should do one of those a week. Yeah. Okay. Five minutes. Nick Gordon for Chris Archer and the Twins will kick in uh, two quants and uh, like baseball researchers. And uh, they'll split the gate of the Twins' home series against the Rays in 2018, 19, and 20. Oh, Astros don't say—or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Rays. Rays don't say no to that, right? <laughs> so
0: they get money and some prospects That's for right. a 28-year-old starting pitcher. Don't they normally try to trade those guys before they're get 28? them out before they're 28.
1: <laughs> uh, who says no? I, I think that the one thing that just tricked a thought in my head, because like, I think that this is the winter that the Twins should go big. I've said before, go get Wade Davis— and we've did a, we did a whole podcast where I basically had my hottest take of all time, go spend big money, $80 million, to sign Wade Davis. And I'm not backing down from that take. I think where I'm with you is I wouldn't trade Byron Buxton to get Chris Sale or whatever. Well,
0: that's I, – I would scale it back to like would you like, – under what circumstances would you start to trade the Nick Gordons okay. and the – um you know, Steven Gonzalez, sure. Fernando Romero, those guys that aren't quite there, but he might be really soon. Cause I, and you know what? Cause guess what? There was a lot of Astros fans that would have absolutely
1: traded Alex Bregman yep. up until about five months ago. Yep. Or there are probably some people on the bandwagon now that would have traded him until about five games ago. Sure. But I think that, the twins do have some similar pieces, and it's interesting to draw the line comparing the two. Now, I don't think you should stop yourself from spending big money this winter. I, I think you should absolutely expect to see payroll go up this winter, even before Maurer's contract comes off the books, and you can really roll up your sleeves and start spending some money. Uh, but what you mentioned, you know, get this core in place and then pull the trigger on a Verlander trade. Which, by the way, can we talk just for? two seconds about how crazy it is that a guy like Justin Verlander is available at the waiver trade deadline and that you wind up with him. You know, it's
0: because his, his that contract he's a month before that. And still, I think right now, because he has a few years left on mm-hmm. that contract yep. at like 20 or $25 million yep. a year. Yep. Yep. You know, team, nobody them. nobody wanted to claim him and wind up with that contract. But obviously now, I think a lot of teams would say, you know, that contract's not They're so bad if good. I could be
1: playing in Game 6 of the World Series. Good on the Astros for figuring out that Verlander had sort of fixed himself late career, and now he might be this ace of aces again. That's awesome. It's great for baseball. Um, as a, as a, just a fan of the game, it's really cool to see a Justin Verlander renaissance. But one thing that I think is going to go underrated and will continue to do, even if the Astros... Seal the deal and win the World Series. People aren't going to give enough credit to how forward-thinking they were about building that bullpen. They went and got Ken Giles, Chris Davinsky, um Luke Gregerson was a great reliever for a while, and like the, you know, there there are these components that now, in retrospect, it's like, oh yeah, well, duh, the game's going towards bullpen dominance, and the you know, several Ken Giles performances, notwithstanding, in this World Series, the Astros just stumbled into a bullpen. No, they thoughtfully created this thing and made some of these pitchers who they are. So the point I want to make there is, A, they were good at that, but B, they saw a an obvious trend or an obvious thing in the market to exploit before it emerged as obvious. And that's something that you know, I'm not smart enough to figure out, but what's the next thing? What is it I've talked in the past. Is it pitcher health? Are you going to be able to keep pitchers, starters, and relievers, and minor leaguers, fifteen percent healthier than the next club? Guess what? That's a huge leg up for you. As long as you're the one that knows it, and everyone else is playing yeah. catch up. You know, it might That's a made be, up example,
0: but. right? But it might even be something you know in regards to. How you throw certain types of pitches, and I'm going to kind of make this one up too, because I think we're getting really granular. Because most teams understand now that on base percentage is important, right? I mean, say like, like 28 teams. It's a pretty, it's a pretty <laughs> big thing that you need to be. But maybe maybe teams don't understand all 30 of them that a 12 to six breaking ball is a lot harder to hit than. Uh, a more horizontally planed breaking
1: ball. And I'm kind of making that example Or that it plays off if you've got a high fastball with a high spin rate and then you drop a 12-6 hammer. Right. That's going to be a way different difference visually than, say, that same fastball and a slider would be. Correct. They're just closer on the hitting plane.
0: Yep. So I think think you're almost getting more granular in
1: your search for the next money ball advantage in in Major League Baseball. Yes. Be good. We've talked about this too, Phil. We brought the example to – Well, to our company too, like, okay, you figure out not just how to do a good radio broadcast. But like, Which I'm still trying to figure out, by the yeah, way. Yeah, well, uh, let me know. You get back to me if you ever come across that golden nugget. I'm like
0: the Chicago White Sox of
1: radio broadcasts, actually.
0: <laughs> or, you know, I'm actually like the Tigers. I'm just hiring old managers and letting him bring the band back together. Guardi <laughs> bringing in Vavra. Yeah, how about that? Uh, Rick Anderson going to be the bold yep, coach. I saw that. That's yep, amazing. Crack the beers, baby.
1: Well, my only point was that you've got to be nimble and figure out, like, not only what's the next thing, but how do you get good at figuring out what the next thing is? So that when the next next thing comes, inevitably, how do you then capitalize that or how do you position yourself well? And to me, that's this fascinating behind-the-scenes chess match that's going on in baseball right now. And one thing, like I said, that's going to go underrated about this Astros team, whatever happens the rest of the way, is like they – I think personally, they were ahead. They were leading the pack on this They, along with some teams like the Yankees who made a concerted effort to build a Super Bowl pen – last year's Cubs team, which swung for the fences and got an Araldis Chapman deal done so that they could boost their percentage chance of winning the World Series by whatever fraction of a percent. And they gave up big future assets to do it. But Theo Epstein said at the time, and I remember the quote, and I love it. Opportunities to win the World Series are precious. We're not going to leave this to to chance if there's anything we can do to further that cause now that we're here. And anyway, I just think that I don't know if it's bullpen. I do think the Twins need a better bullpen. That's yes. why I think you go get Wade Davis. If Kelly Jansen can't
0: get an out in the World Series, right. all, all due respect
1: to Alan Buzenitz, but good luck. That's right. But the, <laughs> same, the same holds true as, like, if you're the Twins, what's next? And how do you get ahead of that? Yeah, the young core is important, and I think the Twins are actually really well positioned there. Some of the talent that they have here or close to here in the big leagues, um, you know, Royce Lewis isn't that close, but what a great rookie season he had. You know, you look up guys like Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Miguel Sano, Jose Barrios, Trevor Hildenberger. like they're still young, but how then do you, do you take that sort of core, that stable of guys who are kind of just emerging in the big leagues and figure out what's next to get ahead of that race? Because I think that's the only way to do it. I don't think if you're the twins, you can look around the landscape and say, Oh, okay. Well, here the final four teams did these seven things really well. So we're going to work on improving at the margins on these seven things. I think you constantly have to be scouring the landscape and figuring out. Okay, that good team did this. This good team really focused hard on this. This good team did this. So we'll figure out how we can improve all those things. But also, here's this other thing that we think is important. Nobody else is talking about yet. That we won't even share with the media because we think it's such a competitive advantage we're going to keep it a secret. Actually, here's here's a market
0: inefficiency that I think I don't think it just has to apply to ace caliber pitchers like Justin Verlander. That third time through the order conundrum where most pitchers once they get to the third time through the order or fourth time through the order, it's really dicey. Like the it, opposing hitters might go from hitting 240 to 290 and uh, and the slugging percentage skyrockets. Well, is there Something you could do or teach or develop—is there a a method you could subscribe to as a pitcher? Whether it's adding a third pitch at a different point in a game, I I don't know what it would be. But how to get better? Only the first time through the lineup. Yeah. How do you get better? Maybe you sacrifice a little bit early on to be better overall for seven innings. Thus, now you don't have to pull a guy after four and two thirds because you don't trust him a third time through the order. And and I don't know. Doesn't have to be Kershaw. Maybe you can just have like Irvin Santana be better a third time through the year, right? Yep. I
1: don't know what that answer is, but you should always just be asking questions like that. You should just be perpetually curious. One thing I was thinking about, and as long as this is just a super nerdy podcast, anyways, I'll bring it up. I was thinking about this when I was driving, and I was sort of like just drifting, um, not like Tokyo drift, but I mean like my brain was kind of going. I'm glad around. you clarified. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was an important thing to say. Sure. Yeah.
0: Something. Sometimes I enjoy drifting on three ninety four
1: hydroplaning whatever you want to call it, yeah, actually, that's getting dangerous right around this time of year, but what what i'm what I'm curious about, Phil, and I haven't I haven't really fleshed this out, so i'm I'm saying it out loud for the first time, um, and I'm probably gonna be made fun of by a fellow baseball nerd. and any listener that's listening to this is like, that's absurd. Tweet me, don't at me bro the the thing that ran through my head was that like, okay. We know there's this baseline or we, we think we know that there's this like baseline of ground balls equal hit this percentage of time on average. And yeah, some are weak tappers. that are more likely to be an out versus scalding hot smash up the middle that takes a pitcher's eye off. That's, you know, that's probably going to go for a hit or at least an error and you're going to reach base more often than the average. But like there's this average of what a ground ball – Means what it equals, mm-hmm. how likely it is to lead to a run if you're a leadoff hitter and you hit a ground ball. But as a pitcher, if you have the mindset that you like don't care what happens short of a leadoff homer or walk, I guess that you don't care too much what happens to the first batter, I'll, I guess I'll fast forward to the punchline, which is that like with runners on first and second and one out, a ground ball to the middle infield is way more valuable than it is to lead off an inning, right? Like your percentage chance of turning a double play and getting out of the inning without giving up a run just went way up. Same By the same token, like a soft tapper with nobody out and the base is loaded, a tapper back to the mounds, pretty decent too because you're probably going to get the lead runner out at home and now you're one ground ball away from being out of the inning. Uh, I guess I could expand that even further to say a swing and miss pitch is far more valuable on a two-strike count than it is on a fresh count. Or like it's pretty valuable on a 1-1 one and one count because the numbers would show that a hitter who gets into a 2-1 count is just vastly superior to a hitter who's in a 1-2 and two count. So anyways, I don't have a real point to this other than to like recognize – I'm curious to know if teams have this sort of framework. Like do they think through things like this? And then furthermore, can you tell a guy like Kyle Gibson that, hey, when you throw that little breaking ball – that can pretty reliably or the two seamer that you bring in on the front door to a lefty that you're pretty confident he's gonna hit a ground out that's super valuable in this situation in this situation otherwise we don't want to see it Put yeah. that in I mean, now we're almost coming full shelf. circle
0: though because I know that like that's uh, obviously there's certain pitches the what I'm trying to say throw is, is that you should
1: pitch to contact it. <laughs> <That's- laughs>